Chapter twenty eight of the Great Gold Rush A Tale of the Klondike. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kathy Barrett. The Great Gold Rush A Tale of the Klondike by W. H. P. Jarvis. Chapter twenty eight A Council of War. Within a few days, fifteen hundred men in Dawson had signified their readiness to act for a new government. Another thousand could readily be counted upon from the creeks twenty-five hundred well-armed and determined men entrenched at the top of the dome could withstand an army to attack them armed as they were with long-range sporting rifles would be on the part of the police madness it was noon on a saturday when long shorty left his last note to five ace dan on the yukon gravel bar having satisfied himself that the missive had fallen into the proper hands he set out for the dome to report he found berwick Hugh Spencer, Bruce, Court, and several others, holding a council of war. Berwick was giving instructions. Behind the dome, you will notice, is a valley where the timber is comparatively heavy. Our men can camp there with two weeks' provisions. Every man, or two men, will be their own commissariat. Their instructions will be to hold themselves in readiness while recruits are being gathered from the creeks recruits we don't want no recruits from the creeks roared long shorty fifteen hundred men will fix the thing hugh agreed with this fifteen hundred men should be able to scare less than two hundred into surrender especially when we can show them that we can shoot and be out of range of their rifles berwick put the matter to the vote and it was agreed that the fifteen hundred to be recruited from dawson would be sufficient berwick sighed very good. Fifteen hundred let it be, but we must try to avoid bloodshed. This affair will be serious enough without anybody being killed. Pass the word for a muster right away. Camps to be made in the woods as if a base for prospecting. At the camps, rifles may be cached to be quickly available. It is possible the police may not notice the migration, but we must chance that. Until it is time to act, the men will go into town every day as usual." "'Don't you think we had better have a preliminary muster?' asked George. "'Yes, it would serve a double purpose, give an opportunity to our men to learn the plans, and the massing of so many upon the dome would doubtless lead to inquiries by the police, and probably impress them with our display of force. It's hardly possible they will make arrests, and they can hardly shoot unarmed men.' "'It won't do em any harm to show we look like meaning business. Why not have the boys bring their arms?' asked Long Shorty. "'I'd say nothing about arms,' Hugh counselled. "'Let each man suit himself. There'll be enough guns in the crowd to guard against accidents.' "'And what are we to do after our display of force?' asked Long Shorty. "'Send a letter to the barracks, calling on the officer commanding to surrender,' answered John Berwick. "'If he does not surrender? Suppose he tells you to go to the devil?' "'We'll give him till Saturday to consider it.' "'And then, if he says no?' He won't say no. He is a humane man, and must know we are in the right. He must also be aware that we can annihilate him. Berwick did not quite possess the assurance he showed in this reply. There might be such a thing as Smoothbore being willing to die at his post. Of late this idea had been more and more gaining hold on his mind. His sleep had become more restless as the time for action approached. In all probability some irresponsible person would make a slip, which would precipitate matters dark thoughts and doubts came upon him as they must at times to every leader who holds under his control many lives 
but resolutely he put them from him and comforted his heart strengthened his determination by remembering the wrongs they had suffered and the righteousness of their cause he hoped earnestly that smoothbore would recognize that his force was outnumbered by at least ten to one but long shorty was tenacious possibly he thought he detected some wavering in his leader and so he persisted but what if he does call the bluff in that case we must hold a council of war and determine what to do our display of force on wednesday should make him apprehensive by friday our intentions and strength must have impressed him then we shall forward him a summons to surrender if by saturday noon he has not complied we'll drop a few bullets round the flagpole cried long shorty and it would not do much harm if we peppered a yellow leg or two i'd rather they got one of the grafters said a recruit to which remark others chorused hear hear we'll see we'll see what we need first is to get our forces camped in the woods so pass the word among our adherents that they are expected to gain their encampment during monday and tuesday let sunday be a day of rest it's possible the sunday after may be far from peaceful all right boss spoke up frank frank was far more loyal to parson jack much less inclined to question him than long shorty that ends this present business said john those of you who don't wish to go into town may as well stay and go over the ground in survey of a line of entrenchment thereupon with his friends about him john went to his den and secured a pick and shovel hidden there and with them traced a furrow to be enlarged later the rifleman would lie there and fire upon the barracks to this day that furrow is to be found across the top of the dome dawson was now at the zenith of its prosperity not only had the creeks produced many millions but vast sums of outside capital were being paid for speculative claims as well as for properties of proven worth for those who were prosperous it was a heyday of delight to those whose fortunes had stuck it was no heyday it was for these that berwick and his comrades were working to give honest workers something of a fair chance though there was a long span between the idealism of john and the motives of long shorty which were not a little selfish and sordid there have been many popular outbursts in the world's history but never had a leader entered his fortunes against an established government with the chances of success held by berwick in numbers in arms and equipment he had the advantage his hesitation was therefore not due to any shirking of the issue he was the reverse of a moral coward and yet he felt keenly the responsibility and unpleasantness of the part he had to play in leading a force against the authority of britain's queen it was duty which drove him against his patriotic instincts he loathed the necessity but there was no alternative if wrongs were to be righted the five colleagues had been thoughtfully watching dawson that hive of human bees the first to break the silence was long shorty when he told of his acquaintance with five ace dan on the woodpile and added the suggestion that he might prove useful this roused hugh who said sharply we don't want any jailbirds he's a bit of a tin horn protested shorty but he ain't a jailbird there ain't much difference was hugh's retort long shorty held his peace End of chapter twenty eight